Chapter 3 Nightmare Annie, Annie wake up baby. Wake up. Anne Marie slowly opened her eyes and struggled to focus on the man above her bed. After a few seconds, she smiled, embraced her father, and gave him a hard hug and kiss on his cheek. Good morning, Daddy, she said, stretching. It's going to be a long day. We should get started, he said. Anne Marie sat up in her bed and stretched. Daddy, I had a weird dream last night. I, shush, there's plenty of time for that later, sweetie. Sir Geoffrey Fairchild helped his little girl out of bed, to the chair where her clothes were already laid out for her, and out the front door after she was dressed. Where are we going, Daddy? Look around you, what do you see? asked Fairchild. Until then, Anne-Marie had only been focusing on her father. However, as she looked around she no longer saw her house. They were walking in a park. The trees were extremely tall and thick. Well, for a six-year-old, everything was larger than normal. There was no one else in the park. Strangely, no birds were singing, no animals were scurrying to and fro, and no flying insects were buzzing around. It was perfectly quiet, except for the occasional pounding of their footsteps against the pavement. And Marie looked up at the sky. Daddy, why is the sky blue? It's always been blue, honey. No, Daddy. Why is the sky that color blue? And Marie pointed to the sky. Two dark blue circles disappeared from the sky as soon as Fairchild looked up. Honey, the whole sky is blue, like always. And Marie rubbed her eyes, then shrugged. Daddy, can I tell you about my dream now? She asked. Of course, my sweet. Daddy, I dreamt that I was an old lady with grandchildren in America. In America? Yes, Daddy, and my son's name was, now, Annie, it's all a dream. Let's have fun today and forget about last night. Fairchild looked around and then handed an ice cream cone to his daughter. And Marie immediately grabbed the cone and forgot about the dream she was trying to describe to her father. Fairchild sat his daughter on a bench and watched her eat the ice cream cone with much enthusiasm. When she finished, he pointed to the playground behind her. And Marie bounded from the bench and immediately started playing with the other children there. For the next hour, she forgot about her daddy, her dream, and everything else. When she finally got tired, she returned to her father and sat down next to him on the bench. Did you have a good time, he asked. Yes, she said, breathing heavily. Ready for lunch? Yes, daddy. So, what do you want to eat? Asked Fairchild, looking at a menu. And Marie looked around the restaurant. She didn't remember coming here. There was no one else in the restaurant. The place was filled with empty chairs and unset tables. The lights were dim, and in the background, she could almost hear music playing. It sounded eerie, enough to cause her to shiver. She looked around for a waiter but saw no one. Did you hear me, sweet? asked Fairchild. Yes, Daddy, she paused. Daddy, where's everybody? Annie, let's focus on ordering lunch first. Yes, Daddy. And Marie looked at the menu. The only thing on the menu was fish and chips. Daddy, she said, looking up at her father. The only thing here is, hurry up and eat your food, dear. We still have a long day ahead of us. And Marie looked at the plate before her. Half the fish and chips were eaten and the glass of milk already emptied. She shrugged her shoulders and continued eating. Annie, have you ever heard of Kipling? Yes, Daddy. He, her father, continued without stopping. Kipling said, mankind, what a joke. 
To establish his existence, he conquers all that once was considered unconquerable. He tries to push back the veil of misunderstanding and the mist of confusion to clear the doubt of his origin. There's no doubt, man originated not from his creator, but from the sheer force of nature. A random occurrence fated to lead to his eventual emergence. Thus, we have the reason for man's being. To be, man is, man will be, man is to be. Fairchild smiled at his daughter. Daddy, that's kind of self-centered. Don't you think? Did Kipling really say that? Fairchild's smile turned to a frown. Well, then maybe you'll like this quote. Man was made from the lowest form of element found on the face of the earth. Dust. Just like dust, he's tossed about to and fro in no direction. Why would the creator of the universe create such a lowly being? He should have created something more elegant from a much higher element. Fairchild leaned closer to Anne-Marie and continued. Or even some type of celestial element. But the creator created lowly man to serve those higher than him. The prince in power of all we see before us. The celestial being that controls his every move and thoughts. Anne-Marie shivered. Daddy, that doesn't sound right. Fine. He said, shaking his head. He then smiled and said, Tell me about your dream again. What dream, Daddy? Oh, nothing said Fairchild as he looked to the right and then to the left. Let's go. The audience cheered loudly in expectation as the clowns made their way to the center ring. There were nine clowns jumping, bounding, and falling all over each other as the band played melodious music for the audience's delight. However, when the clowns assaulted the ringmaster and mimicked his actions, the audience erupted with resounding laughter. And in the center ring, said the head clown, are the nine wonders of the world us. And Marie cheered along with everyone else. Hey, shouted the head clown. We're not here to make an impression. On cue, one of the clowns slapped a cream pie into the ringmaster's face. We're not here to boast. Another clown beat his chest like an ape. We're just here to have fun. All of the clowns jumped away from the ringmaster, who now was dressed as a clown. The ringmaster grabbed the microphone back and shouted, if you can't beat him, join them. Everyone in the audience started jumping up and down, making half-crazed clown noises. And Marie looked around, to her surprise, everyone was dressed like a clown. She looked at her father only to see a clown laughing and hollering next to her. Where did my father go? She thought. Another clown sitting next to her realized her demise and started mocking her. Where's my daddy? Where's my daddy? Boo-hoo-hoo. Where's my daddy? Anne-Marie looked back to the center ring where all the clowns used to be. The ring was empty, and the clowns were nowhere in sight. She turned to see her father sitting next to her again. Daddy, where'd the clowns go? Fairchild smiled and pointed to the center ring. Shush, they're getting ready to begin. The Colosseum was packed for the upcoming events. Every Roman in the province was here or wanted to be here. It was the main event of the season. The top gladiators were here to fight and die for the glory promised them. The cheers and jeers resounded throughout the Colosseum as Anne-Marie focused on the man down below. Fellow Romans, I bring to you events that will astound you beyond your greatest expectations. Today you will be amazed and dazzled. The speaker's voice was drowned out by Fairchild. Anne-Marie, I hope this day has been special for you. I've had a great time. Daddy, where are we? I'm confused. Annie. Annie. Isn't this where you want to be? Today I've taken you to all the places you've always dreamed of going with me. 
We went walking in the park together, where I bought you an ice cream cone. You went playing in the playground with your friends. We went to the finest restaurant in England, where you had fish and chips. We saw the circus and clowns, and now we're at the Roman Colosseum. Why are you confused? I don't know, she responded, all of this seems. Well, funny. Well, little girl, what you're about to see isn't funny at all, her father said with a maniacal smirk. The announcer wrapped up his introduction. And to start things off, how about a lion hunt, said the announcer. The crowd cheered and stomped their feet. After the announcer left, several dirty and ragged prisoners were forced to the center of the floor. They all fell to their knees and huddled together. Kill them. Kill them all, shouted Fairchild. Anne-Marie quickly looked at her father, surprised that he would say such a thing. Sorry, dear, I forgot myself. Anne-Marie looked back to the people on the floor. She stared at what they were doing and realized they were praying. Daddy? Annie? You told me before that you had a dream, right? Asked Fairchild, obviously trying to avoid a question before it was ever asked. I don't remember anymore. Daddy, the... Annie, Fairchild smiled. When you grow up and have children of your own, what would you call your son if you had one? What? What would you call your son if you had one? I don't know. Maybe Geoffrey like you, Shane or Sean. Why? The crowd cheered as the lions were released. A smile developed on Fairchild's face as he continued to distract his daughter. I see. Now, Annie. I want you to think very hard, okay? Anne-Marie nodded. Try to think hard. A long time ago, when I went away for a long, long time, did I keep a journal? A what? Think, shouted Fairchild. Sorry, he said quickly, so Anne-Marie wouldn't get upset. The crowd's so loud I can't hear myself think. Did I use to write in a book every day or so? I don't know, Daddy. Shouldn't you know? Fairchild nodded. At my age, I tend to forget many things. Oh, said Anne-Marie. Well, I think you did. You were always writing in something. Yes, I know. But the crowd roared as the first lion tackled and mauled one of the prisoners. Anne-Marie immediately looked at the Colosseum floor and then quickly covered her eyes. The lion is hurting that lady. Make it stop. Make it stop. It's okay. Look. Take your hands off your eyes. Anne-Marie looked. Everything had frozen. The lion was still on top of the woman, but wasn't moving. The crowd was also quiet. She looked at everyone around them and realized they too were frozen. It was as though time had stopped. Anne-Marie felt a hand on her shoulder. Don't worry. Daddy took care of everything. Now, do you remember where I put my journals? I just can't seem to remember. Journals. What? Anne-Marie looked up at the sky. There were several birds soaring high above them, frozen in place. Even the clouds didn't move. But then she noticed something she had seen before, two dark blue circles in the sky. She grabbed her father's hands, not taking her eyes off the spots, and pointed in their direction. Fairchild saw the dark circles and frowned. The circles mysteriously disappeared. Daddy, did you see that? I saw it before, I know I did. Did you see that? Fairchild closed his eyes and took a deep breath. Fine. Everything started moving again. The crowd cheered as the first lion snapped the neck of the woman it pinned. The other lions slowly closed in on the other prisoners, who didn't move from their kneeling positions. Eventually, blood and flesh were ripped from severed bones. No. Daddy, no. Stop it again. 
Please, screamed Anne-Marie. This type of sport was making her sick to her stomach. I can only stop it once, but in order to stop it again, I need my journals. The answer's in the journals. Where did I leave them, he asked. Daddy, I can't remember. I don't know if. See that young man down there? Does he look familiar to you? Asked Fairchild. Anne-Marie looked at the man her father pointed out. He looked vaguely familiar. By this time, most of the prisoners had either been killed or had been eaten alive, all except that one man. It seemed as though the lions couldn't see him. Who is he, Daddy? You tell me. Anne-Marie thought hard as an image filled her mind. With the image came a revelation, and with that revelation Anne-Marie changed back to the woman she was. The grandmother of Brad and Nicole, the mother-in-law of Lisa Duquesne, and the mother of Sean Duquesne. Anne-Marie screamed out loud. Sean! Run! Get out of there!" Anne-Marie felt her heart threatening to leap from her chest. Sean. She turned quickly to her father. Daddy, help him. I want to, but can't. The journals. It's the only way. Could the journals really hold the answer to my son? She thought. She couldn't just sit here and watch him die. She had to try everything to save him. Daddy. You told me long ago never to tell anyone where it was even if you ever asked me again. You told me there would come a time when I'd have to reveal your journals and that I'd know when that time was. I guess this would be it, because I know you wouldn't want your grandson to die. Yes, that's right. Sir Geoffrey Fairchild pointed to Sean. Hurry, I think one of the lions just spotted him. And Marie looked nervously at Sean and the approaching lion. Daddy, the journals are in. And Marie heard a small whisper in her ear, which said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands, you put everything under his feet. And Marie looked away from Sean and the lion and stared at her father. Why did that particular scripture come to her? She knew it was in response to what her father had said some time ago. But what was that again? Annie, the journals, hurry. Sean, said Fairchild. Daddy was talking about humankind being made to serve celestial beings and some kind of celestial prince, she thought, the prince and power of them. Air. And Marie looked at the sky. The two dark circles were there again, watching as always. She looked back at her father. This isn't real. What? Your son, my grandson, is about to be attacked. Where are the journals? He shouted in desperation. Anne-Marie smiled. She had finally realized what was happening. You know, Daddy, I remember a particular scripture that says, Now is not the time for church, Annie, now is the time to act. Anne-Marie didn't stop with the interruption. She said, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Fairchild took a deep breath and glanced at the Colosseum floor. Your son is dead. No, my son is alive and well. It's you and your deceived fallen brothers who are dead. You know your end, and there's nothing you can do to prevent it. 
Fairchild shook his head in disgust, then waved his hand. The Colosseum disappeared, leaving the two totally engulfed in darkness. Strangely enough, they were able to see each other clearly. Well, Anne-Marie, here we are again where we've met so many times before. I thought projecting a dreamlike environment with all of the places you've talked about wanting to go with your father would be a pleasant change. However, if you want to interact the way we always have in the past, then so be it. And Marie ignored the demon, fell to her knees, and started praying. The form of Fairchild dissolved to a formless gray mist with two sickly red eyes in the middle of it. It approached Anne-Marie, hoping to distract and frighten her. With a malevolent evil voice, the demon said, Now listen to me. We could kill your son, and there's nothing you can do about it. However, we'll spare his life only if you reveal the location of the journals. And Marie continued to mumble inaudible words as the demon approached. Slowly, a white light outlined her body and increased in intensity. There's much you don't understand, but it'll soon be revealed to you that your life and the lives of those close to you are more fragile than you imagine," said the demon in desperation. By now, a definite white light was surrounding Anne-Marie. When the demon got close enough, it stopped, afraid of what it saw inside her. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places," said Anne-Marie as she looked up at the demon. There was no fear in her eyes only the sense of power and authority. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave. The demon screamed as it was forced backward with great force. We'll never rest until we have everything. We now know you have knowledge of the journals. It's just a matter of time. The demon managed to scream before disappearing with a resounding clap. And Marie opened her eyes and jumped up from her bed. Sweat poured from her face. It took her a few moments before she regained her senses. Wiping off the sweat, she went to check on the children. They were both sound asleep. She quickly thanked God they didn't have to endure the evil she just did. Those faraway experiences she had as a child all of a sudden didn't feel so distant. That dream felt so real. Why did this start up again? And why were Daddy's journals so important? It obviously couldn't read my thoughts, or it would have found what it wanted, she thought. Anne-Marie thought back to the man she saw at the movies in the diner. It could have all been a coincidence, but when she later found the window open and the computer still warm, as if it was just shut off, that bothered her. Too many odd things had happened in a short period of time. And now, after this dreamlike incident, it seemed as if something evil was focusing on her and possibly Sean. She remembered how her late husband always used to say that when all the pieces pointed to the improbable, then you'd be an idiot not to consider it. And Marie learned a lot from her husband as she helped him in his business. Those years immediately came to mind, showing her what she had to do. It all seemed rather extreme, but she prayed that God would guide her.